I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So you may have heard the term fake news, where we're going to call this one breaking the news. Satire and parody, have they got a place? This is Stop and Search on Scooby's Pips Distraction Pieces Network, brought to you by Acast in association with UK. Here we go. Behind your barricades. Yeah, but how long can I stay? Behind your barricades. Where true values seldom stray. Thank you so much for joining us again, guys. As I said, this is Stop and Search, and this one's called Breaking the News. And the reason being is that we're interested in how the news works. How do we get stories out there? How do we get information to people? So on this one, we've got Felicity Morse, who I've known since she was at the Huffington Post about a good four or five years ago now, I'd imagine. And um, at the time of recording, Felicity was with the iNews as a digital editor. But she's since moved on, and she's now a social media consultant, freelance. So if you want to find her, go and find her at Felicity Morse on Twitter. Um, but the links will be scrolling underneath on your cast app if you if you click on those. Um, so thanks so much for joining us, Felicity. Uh, such an amazing intellect in this subject. It, honestly, she's fascinating. We've also got Tian and Duyeb, who is a friend of mine, uh, host of the Partly Political Broadcast, uh, comic, uh, satirist, uh, you name it. Tiernan's out there doing it, a real hustler, um, and he brought his parents along to this, so hello to Mr and Mrs Duyep, and I apologise immensely for get, uh, not pronouncing your name and chickening out on, of that, and also we've got Andrew Doyle, and Andrew is just an all-round great intellect on this subject as well, of how satire and parody works in the media, Andrew is a co-writer for the Jonathan Pye character, who I'm sure you'll know by now. Uh, but he's also a playwright, a writer, an author, a stand-up comic himself who I've seen, and it's just genuinely fantastic. So let's get straight into it. Um, I'll speak to you at the end with some thank yous. This is going to be another two-parter, because the two-parters seem to work, so make sure you stay tuned for the next one that's going to come out when we've got questions and answers and all that sort of thing. So here we go then. This is Breaking the News on Stop a Search. Yeah, I want you. So this is Stop and Search podcast. This is um, under Scroobius Pip's banner. I'm under a, some sort of heating thing here, so that's going to be lovely. I'm going to have to take the school jumper off. I didn't account for that. You don't want to see what's under here. Um, so if you feel like helping us out, go to a cast slash stop and search, something like that. I can't remember what it is. Anyway, we're under Stop and Search on Scrooby Pip banner. Um, we do podcasts and talk to people, but tonight... 
I couldn't be more thrilled to be joined by Andrew Doyle, who is the co-writer of the extraordinary viral character, Jonathan Pye, comedian, author, playwright as well, I believe. So this is Andrew Doyle. Give a round of applause. <laughs> We've also got Tiernan. Don't make me attempt your name. I, I, I've got all right with Tiernan. And I was listening to your podcast, Partly Political Podcast, on the way up here. And, and part of it was to try and get your last name down. Do we? Do, no. Do, and I've got your parents as well. Do, Tiernan... Do, <laughs> Do it. You said it so quickly on the podcast. It's like you like you know it's a tricky one. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Right, it's yeah. Tiernan do it. No, it's not going to happen. Do it. Right, so this is Tiernan. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks very much. <laughs> and Felicity Morse. That is a, such a nice name. Thank you, Felicity, for giving me such an easy one on that. Digital editor of the iPaper, iNews, uh, former with, formerly with Newsbeat, with The Independent and Huffington Post. Uh, so please give it up for Felicity Morse. <laughs> and then this on my left, I have to check my hand, left, is uh, Neil Woods, our director. No, I'm the director, aren't I? You're the chairman. So Neil Woods, former undercover cop, chairman of Lit UK. His book, Good Cop, Bad War, is out in all good bookshops. So give it up for Neil Woods. <laughs> Today is going to be about the media and um, just how it's fitting in, not necessarily to drug policy, we'll touch on it in a little bit, but just media in general. It's, it, I'd say, Felicity, it has evolved, hasn't it? Especially since even you've been doing it, which is been how long? Yeah, so I've been involved in digital media for about five, six, yeah, about six years. And I think it was really interesting setting iNews up because, and even if you go back to when I was at the BBC, because just what people want has changed. So there's just a total sense of overwhelm now. People don't necessarily just want information. They want to in know how important that information is and you will have seen probably a rash of headlines that start with the one thing and that's because people can't really cope with seven things anymore seven seems to be about the limit i found sort of like you can look at click through as in like when people click on stuff and it drops off after about seven so that seems to be the amount people can cope with and i think the other thing that's kind of interesting um if you put analysis in the headline people are more likely to click through and even like um about three years ago it used to be very hard to i say sell but um you know, put a Twitter tease on comment pieces online. And now people are really thirsty for comment. They want to know, like, you know, what to think about it. They don't just want to know what is. Um, and I think that's for lots of reasons. I think we've got much greater access to information now. People know how to navigate the internet a lot more. And, um, yeah, I think, I think the other thing is, like, personal brands are becoming much bigger than they ever were. So people used to find, you know, it's just changing authority, changing places where people have authority, really. Um, and I think that's rapidly evolved. Um, 
And I imagine it's had some good effects, so people are connecting with people much more, and possibly some negative effects, so people like Donald Trump are able to get authority very quickly just by being authentic. And this authentic thing um, is something that I think people are starting to wise up to as well. It's difficult because I think that is one of the first mentions we've had of Donald Trump ever on the podcast, believe it or not, strangely. And as much as I don't want to say it, he's credited with the term of fake news. Is, is there actually such a thing as fake news? Because it, I mean, surely it's subjective. Um, so I just think what is very interesting about um, the way news is shared at the moment is that we're all humans like love stories we've all loved stories and now because things are feeling more insecure we're looking for the headlines to fit our own stories whatever that might be and i think that with fake news it's almost like we so need our own stories to be right and you know the mind is way more interested in being right than it is in being happy that we will happily look at fake news you know i mean that's where it's come from um like we need the stories and we need the headlines like to make ourselves feel secure even if those headlines make us unhappy is there, is there also something um about the fact because I, I find myself doing this quite a lot in that i get twitter happy and go oh that looks fun retweet retweet and then about half an hour later go oh that was complete bullshit sorry can i swear can yeah, i swear no. oh good that's right um a bit late now isn't it um but i suddenly find that i've retweeted a load of stuff and realize that i haven't really paid any attention to its content more than i haven't researched it myself i've just kind of taken the immediate hit of retweeting it without checking if it's actual fact and then uh, find that quite a lot of the time it isn't and it's all my fault um and, and there seems to be a, a quite a lot of that at the moment and um, people you know we, we are just um assuming that news because it's coming up on our social media feeds must be right even though it's not well i think there are two things that are interesting and and that have been sort of humbling and also disillusioning about the fact that you can see when people click through because you'll put something out about alcohol addiction and if you just looked at the tweet it would just sit there sort of anonymously looking like nobody was interested in this at all when you look through the back end it's like ooh, a hundred people have suddenly clicked on this article how to spot if you're an alcoholic so there are a hundred people that are really interested in looking and and then there might be something else and i think the one that always struck me was about um uh there was a story about gaza when i worked at the independent had like thousands of shares and barely anybody had clicked through to re read the story i was like wow i don't know how to feel about that that, that is really interesting because we find that quite a lot don't we that if it conforms to your political bias that most people will read the headlines and nothing else is it do you think there's a danger andrew because someone in your position has to analyze the news enough to be able to satire and parody it with what you do with jonathan pye do you think there's a danger that we're just glossing over the, the relevant information just to conform to our own bias? 
I think that's definitely the case. I think uh, there's a major problem insofar as so much of the media is partisan now, quite overtly so. So it's very, very difficult to find... I mean, what I really want is just someone to tell me the news, tell me what happened, not tell me what to think about it. That'd be great. I think there's a real gap in the market for that. Um, but You I, don't I, want that, though. I do, I really no, do. you don't, because you wouldn't pick through. <laughs> well, I would. It would just for me. Um, but I'd be happy with that. Uh, and I think the, the problem is you have... Um, I mean, obviously, there are certain news outlets you know are going to be putting... A spin on it and omitting certain, you know, Daily Mail, Guardian, whatever, you know, these people tell you the whole truth. But um, I think the point is, I'd like to see something that doesn't just conform to what I think. I try to read as much as possible in terms of different viewpoints so that I get a sort of... Bro- I've got a real problem, actually. That so many times I read a story or someone sends me a link and says, oh, look at this, this is incredible. I then click on it and I have to do a bit of research to find out whether, the, whether like you were saying, I have to find out whether it's a hoax site or a real site. Um, and it's becoming so hard to tell as well. It's isn't really it? difficult. That's the problem. <laughs> and it's, even if it's been reported on the BBC or something, because they pick up false things and report them as true as well. I mean, everyone does it. So you have to do like you have to find four or five different articles to sort of verify. I had it the other day when um, there was a story about Amazon deleting all the one-star reviews of Hillary Clinton's book, and I assume that can't be true. I mean, Amazon are pretty sensorial, but that's pretty bad. And then I looked and I found five different reputable sites saying it's true. So I thought, okay, then it's true. And then, but I have to go through that process and I resent it because I've got shit to do. You know, I've got, bit, I've, got bit, I've got a busy life, right? Time, yeah, it takes up a lot of your time, doesn't it? Yeah. What you need is you need factual articles that say things like, if you only read one fact today, this is it, and then have a really boring article underneath. You'll get loads of people. Well, that, that then was... you'd just retweet it and you yeah, wouldn't even true, read yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so you think that's the real problem, that people just aren't... Re- they just go on the headlines? So, I don't know. I think, I think the main problem is that in order to make any money online... You don't just have to be popular, you have to be viral. And that is very difficult. See, that's interesting, the monetization of the news. How's, is, is it a relatively new thing or has it always been there that we're just not even...? I think it used to be supported by print sales a lot. I mean, you had this situation going on in papers before, like they would put all the stories on the left-hand side that they didn't think you would read, but would be expected to be in a paper and they put the ones that they know people wanted to read on the right hand side and they get sort of get away with it like that and then the 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 headlines on the front page would be a bit more um i suppose clickable but they'd be a bit more censorious than the actual articles on the article but Unfortunately, every single article has to be like that. They call them a puff on the front page, that front page puff that gets you to buy the paper. Every single article has to be like that. And on top of that, they're not even making as much money um, from that when they click on it. So, I mean, like, I think the stat I've seen recently is that one reader is worth about 5p a month to an online site. Wow. So you're saying that the problem is that the media has had to become a form of entertainment and entertainment priority rather than uh, necessarily being accurate? I don't know. I'm saying that um, I'm saying that readers have always possibly been more powerful than they've been realising and news exists in some form to serve the people that read it. And... It's becoming harder and harder because that's having to be done in volume and bulk. Because is that why there was that paper? Was it earlier this year? That, was it the New Day? Was that the paper that survived mm-hmm. for a few months? And the idea was that it was just going to be facts or like kind of non-biased and it didn't last well, very I think long. It was, I found it quite boring. It was meant to be but, positive stories, right. I think. 
Who wants that? Jesus. It's true. How un-British is that? Uh, that is tricky, though, isn't it? it, it and going back to what you, something you said, Andrew, of not knowing the sources now because they're so blurred, like the Daily Mash could be the Daily Mail at the same time. And when Jonathan Pye first came out, uh, and even now, you still get people that are in the comment section of, is this real? Is this, is this guy for real? Where is the line now? Because you do have to draw upon factual things within, within the content of, of what you write. Some people are thinking this is a genuine news report that's just lost his shit and is going for it. Is it difficult when you're writing um, parody and satire and, and just mocking the news, is it difficult to stay the right side of satire before straying into facts and, and just general stupidity of, the, of what the press and the politics are? Um, it's a really good question. I think... Um you're absolutely right that there are still people who assume that the videos are authentic, but I, I think, because um, uh, you, you can't announce something as being satire, otherwise it loses its satirical effect. So I think, um, but I reckon once you've seen two or three of the videos, you must know that, that this is not real. You, you, you must do. I, I think it's probably people coming in and, and not, although there are some that, there was one in particular, I could just tell you, it was one we wrote about, uh, about gay rights and about, and, and during the course of the video, he says something about his wife, about his divorce papers coming through, and he cries, right? And underneath, there were loads of comments saying, oh, get out, you'll be fine, mate, don't worry, hang in there. And then someone came in and said, you do realise this isn't real? Uh, and someone came back really angry, saying, no, it is, because you only get that crack in your voice when you're actually hurt, and he's genuinely upset. And, of course, what this is, is acting. It's a scripted piece that he's, he's acting. Um... But are, they, are they not amazed he hasn't lost his job yet? Like, is well, that well exactly. Like, but surely, like, kind of, he, all these keep yeah. after however many videos. Must go, surely his his bosses yeah. must be really upset. And doing a live tour. Like, I mean, that would really annoy the bosses, right? <laughs> a live comedy tour. Or even um, publishing uh, fake pictures of uh, Iraqi soldiers on the front page. <laughs> it's bizarre. Sure. But I would, I would say um, to, 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 that question is really interesting for me about... about um, because I've, I've read so many times where friends of mine and myself, you know, you fall for an article because you think it's authentic. Uh, for instance, a, a friend of mine retweeted something about Kanye West talking about how he was the new Nelson Mandela and he was much more important than Mandela. And the trouble is, that could be true, right? He didn't say that. But because, because he, he does say these preposterous things, you think, well, maybe that is true. And I think part of the problem, the, the part of the reason why satire keeps being mistaken for reality is that reality is so often self-satirizing at the moment and, and, and particularly um, people's sort of opinion columns and they seem like they could be fake and therefore the satire is too close to the reality that's what I think is part of the problem and I think that's where you come in as well Tian and is that with what you do on the podcast partly political broadcast you're inherently satire I suppose but at the same time you're delivering information that potentially audiences aren't going to be privy to. You know, you, so you are delivering facts within your comedy at the same time. Do you think there is an importance of how we deliver facts? Do you think that we can use it comedy for that? I think comedy is an incredible tool for delivering uh, information. I think um, with the main reason I ever got into doing anything political in my comedy, because I just used to talk about nonsense, but um, we're seeing Mark Thomas do a show about the arms trade. Uh, it was called As Used on the Famous Nelson Mandela, which is the way one of the weapons was labelled in an arms trade fair, which is horrific. Um, and I watched that show, and I don't think I've ever laughed so hard, but also come away having learnt quite so much about something I had no idea about. Um, and that really blew my mind. And I think... Generally, in, in, in lectures or TV programmes, whenever anything you're trying to learn, if there's a gag in there, you almost laugh and absorb it a little bit more. And I just think that... Or what, 
my aim with my podcast I don't know in, as much about politics as I would like to know and what I aim to do is with that kind of go right this is what I'm learning and I feel like you should probably learn this as well. Like this feels like actual facts around it. Um, and then there's always ways to find jokes in there if you know where to look. We, we have quite a lot of trouble, don't we, in drug policy? Because there is a lot of stuff in there, Neil, that can be really close to the mark of being hilarious, if it's not so damn scary. Um, and I think we, we see examples of that. Of, I don't want to mention the, the publications, but I think you can guess who I'm talking about. There are, there are certain moral panics that we quite often have to deal with, isn't there? And I think that this is a subject that you want to specifically talk about, isn't it? The, the, the design of moral panics. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm spending a lot of time researching this at the moment because um, for the for the next book that I'm doing with J.S. Raffaele is A History of the British War on Drugs. And one of the most important parts of that is this sort of cyclic um, moral panic story. And the, the, the first one was in the 60s about the mods taking the purple hearts and, you know, the, the amphetamines. And it just seems to go through this endless cycle. And so uh, with, with the advent of digital um, news... This sort of classic tabloid cycle of um, tabloid outrage, public shock, politicians jumping on the bandwagon—is is that going to be diluted, or does the does the digital um, world actually contribute to that to that as well? Do you think? Who wants to take that one? <laughs> it's loaded. I mean, I mean, I think if you broaden it out, I'm going to broaden it out again. But they say that sex sells, but fear and judgment sell, such as just as much because judgment makes people feel good so somebody's got someone to, someone to blame and this works on both sides right or left there's someone to blame um then people start it it it's mu it's a much better story because it makes people feel a lot better is the news moralistic is it inherently that way or is it just what we bring to the our own viewing I think there's a form of ethics that goes with it. I think I think there are newspapers that are very have a strong moral stance. And whether you agree with that moral stance or not is another thing. But there has to be some people that hold that moral stance. Otherwise they wouldn't buy the paper. Um, so again, the, we will seek out our own political bias within whatever publication we read. Um, and, and I think it was you said, Andrew, is that quite often you will seek to read things that don't suit your prejudice. You will, you will try and diversify what you read just purely. I think it's really important because otherwise you end up just uh, reading things to endorse your existing viewpoint. What's the point in that? You know, I mean, the... I understand why people would. The one thing I will say on that is that sharing then becomes a major part of how news is distributed. So while I think people do read stuff from different sources, I think there's a difference between what people click on and what people share. And the thing that actually really bothers me about sharing at the moment is it looks like everybody is sharing so much more than they would in real life. Like everybody's oversharing when really it's just like they're only sharing 10% and usually they would just speak 5%. So you have this idea that everybody's, you know, and you've seen this on Instagram a little bit, like, you know, everybody thinks they pulled the curtain back and they literally just showed like a thigh instead of like an ankle. Um, and actually, that's not the good bit anyway. <laughs> do you think Depending on what you like. <laughs> yeah, we're going to take questions on that. What do you like? <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Get your prejudice ready. But do you think, Tian, and that people, I mean, I'm going to say people like us, because, you know, we've straddled the lines almost. You know, we're kind of, you know, verging on journalistic in its own weird way because we're putting stuff out there. But at the same time, we're not journalists. I've been called a journalist, and I don't for one minute class myself as that. It's just that I happen to write for certain outlets and that. But you've got a, a way of kind of facilitating <coughs> other people's... Uh, like with this, you've got other people's opinions and you're able to present them through your podcast and what you do. And that's what I mean, like, like my one, I'm definitely not a journalist. I haven't got a clue about a lot of stuff, but I'm able to interview people because that's within my skill set. Uh, I can talk handy. And um, and then I interview people and get them to explain stuff. So, th- so this week on my show, I've got um, somebody from the... New Economics uh, Foundation discussing uh, the effect of natural disasters on kind of people uh, on lower wages, really, and, and how that affects people unequally, really. Um, and, and I haven't got a clue about that, but I'm able to ask him the questions that get those answers from him and learn from someone who is experienced and an expert. I, that term has been ruined, I think, over the last year. But, you know, somebody who is a genuine expert on an explainer. And I think that's what's really important is using the ability you have. Like, as, a, as a stand-up or, you know, as, as a comedy writer and that, we ask always making the joke but using that you can kind of get to other information from it and that's really handy so you have this rise of what um the posh name for is expert layman expert layman so that is um i'm a bin man and this is why i'm going on strike um you know people who wouldn't necessarily usually write or you wouldn't think as being experts, but they know, or, or policemen talking, or police officers uh, talking and writing, or teachers, um, that's, you know, the expert layman, rather than 
the interview of the journalists writing <laughs> writing back, as it were. Um, and I think social media has contributed to that a little bit. And, and also, it's kind of interesting that as soon as you put I in a headline, you know, I did this or I want to tell you that, um, people engage with it much more as well. Do you, do you get much backlash in what you do, Andrew, with being so nailing the colours to the mast in the Jonathan Pye uh, world? I think we can definitely call it a world now because you created a, just this, this behemoth of, 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 of media parody. Do you get much backlash um, or is it mainly positive comments that come your way? Um, well, thankfully, because it's Tom who plays the character, I don't get that. Um, it, <laughs> with the exception of the video we wrote about Donald Trump after the election, which went viral in America and then there were problems and then and because Tom had mentioned me in a lot of interviews I then started getting weird sort of um, hate I suppose hate mail um, from America um, uh, so there's there's that but again that's that's people not on the whole people taking it as gospel and not appreciating there's a comedic aspect to, to, to what to what it is um, and and taking it for journey see I don't I mean I know you talk about politics in your comedy but I, I would never go to a comedian for news because they lie all the time that's the other thing <laughs> comedians embellished by nature of what a joke is so uh, you know I wouldn't ever trust I mean if I were out there I wouldn't be watching Jonathan Pye to get the information um, uh, that personally um, I although I know people do yeah I was gonna say I don't know because strangely you do get quite a lot of information within oh the sure yeah. realms because I mean for example on um, the video you did prior to the last one, you did do a bit on Reading Festival, I think it was, and medicinal cannabis uh, and the Lib Dem cannabis policy. Believe it or not, not that many people would be aware of that policy if it wasn't written on the back of what you said. So oh, sure. from our position, it helps. Sure, I, I, absolutely. Although I didn't write that one, that was just Tom. Um, but <laughs> so I absolved myself. No, um, no, I would say, of course, because we're drawing on real, real life things that. Ha that happen uh, and we have to um, obviously we do fact check we don't we don't just throw stuff out there that's deliberately uh, misleading but it is a character with a viewpoint and so he's going to put a slant on that viewpoint and so there are certain, even even in terms of the things he wants to talk about you know how so much fact checking do you have to do is, is it oh yeah I'll check yeah don't want to get sued yeah i was going to say but yeah. it's more than what we would potentially imagine for because yeah you, well you, particularly in the live show um we because we because we put out a, record, a recording of the live show, we had to be absolutely got checked endlessly. Um, because also in comedy, you slag off people, don't you? You say you sort of mean things, and it's it's the point at which when does that become uh, slander or libel? You know, at, at what point do you do you cross that line? But by the way, if you do get a chance to see Andrew and Tom in the live show, I've seen it. I saw it at Canterbury. Absolutely fantastic, the both of you. Uh, I can't recommend it. And I think yeah, I've got some live tour uh, dates coming up, haven't you? Am I really meant to plug here? Yeah, yeah uh, go yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're writing a new live show, which will be uh, from January to April. It, it genuinely is worth seeing. It's so We've so got a book good. out next week. I was going to speak to you about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to speak to you about the book as well. <laughs> Bearing in mind, we have uh, a fairly good relationship in Topnacore Road Waterstones. Um, and Tina, you, you must have to fact check as well. You must, I do for the podcast. I mean, it's interesting what Andrew said in that I wouldn't, like, for my stand-up um, is... Uh, less facty because I've got an immediate audience yeah. that need jokes so I make sure I kind of allude or I talk about news things but I won't stick a ton of information in there whereas with a podcast you've got a captive audience that are listening already in your ears so you can throw in chunks of I think it kind of depends on what medium you're using um, I mean there's loads of I kind of think like podcast anyone that's interested in doing one can do one I just kind of do one because I know I can throw jokes in as well as the things that I'm interested in but um 
Yeah, it's, I do. I fact check for the podcast. I, fact, I, I think full fact. I don't know if anyone uses them. They are one of the best resources ever. They're an independent fact checking body, um, and they just the amount of things, the amount of figures and things that come up in prime minister's questions or question time, all these sort of things. Um, and you can just check them against full fact. They're nearly, they're not always up to date, but quite a lot of the time they are. They've got a team of about 11 who just run through everything, and I find them incredibly useful. But then they have the time. It's their full job to go through resources and government documents and government reports, and that's the problem is if they haven't got something. Like, I know when I, I talk to them, they are tricky on foreign policy because a lot of that is secret and a lot of that is stuff that can't be out in the public eye. Then you know, then it's hard to find out yourself. And it's, it's, it's time. A lot of people don't have time to fact-check everything. It takes a lot of... I mean, I mainly spend a lot of my day doing nothing but sitting on Twitter, so I can check. But a lot of people can't, and that's the issue, I think. We totally find that, don't we? In, in drug policy, because, you know, we're quite geeky in what we do, it's very, very difficult when you see information taken down the wrong stream and it just blown out the water. And it's... I mean, especially from your position, who's... I don't want to say this, but Neil is a complete geek. He, he knows drug policy in and out and every single which way. And it must be difficult from your position as a genuine bona fide expert in every single definition of that word. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying that. Um, it must be difficult from your position to see misinformation come out and churn through the, you know, the journalism channels. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, um, misinformation is, is rife in many things, but drug policy, people just say the most ridiculous things. I mean... Even even worse than the three hundred and fifty million uh, pounds a week, uh, I would say it goals goals me even more. But now you've put me on the spot. I can't think of an example. Did you have something in mind? There's something all the time, and now I can't remember. Normally, there's there's the famous just one joint, which happens in the Mail all the time, which is just they wheel it out on an annual basis, and it's normally to do with the schizophrenia rates. And normally, the headline is just one joint can cause schizophrenia. And, uh, you know, as, as anybody that fact-checks this will know, it's just the biggest load of nonsense. There's just so many variables within that. And that's just one example of what happens in drug policy. And, and the way I'm looping this back around to you, Felicity, is it difficult from your position as someone that is a you know, bona fide journalist that knows the trade, that's been through all the, the, the stages of training to be a journalist, is it difficult when you get people that are... Well, someone like me or Tin, and that that are putting ourselves out there as you know pseudo journalists. Is it is it difficult to watch that when when there are proper people out there that know how to do this job properly? Are we ruining things for you? That's what he's asking. I don't, yeah. place, <laughs> are we? Do I it think? Up? Am I troubled by the fact that you're better than me? Is that is that what he's saying? Is that what he's oh, did I come across that way? Jeez. No, I the question. Banner. So there, there's you always get people that are you know pseudo quasi journalists, whatever. But, 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 but someone... know more about the subject. No, I think you need to. I think I think there's lots of things. I think I think um, people don't like it when you know you'll come across this on full facts as well when they're like, yes, this bit is right. But that bit we don't know about, and we're not 100 percent sure on that. But we know that bit is wrong. You know, when when the answer is not clear cut, yeah. and that's when it's very easy for politicians to lie, actually, because it's very hard for them to prove them to prove them wrong, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's when you, it's when you put it on a bus that it becomes becomes an issue. And even then, I I think you can still become foreign secretary. So um, it's it, I, I think I think you're right, but. So I think there's I think there's lots of things. I think it's difficult the way that stuff has headlines on it. 
I think um, I think that's always really difficult because it's like, oh, there's this new way to get um, lose all the weight by just eating this one food. If you're a mouse, you know um, that's always that's always the kicker in this in the third paragraph. Or this was proved to be right with a group of fifty people over one week. Isn't it the thing you're always meant ago. to read like the last paragraph first? Isn't that what I was told? Some sort of rule. If you read the headline, then jump to the last paragraph where it normally says, oh, and then it was a dream. No, you no. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know why I bothered. Yeah. And then he woke up and yeah. realised it was all on television. <laughs> it was all a TV show. No, um, I, think, I think the rule at the BBC is it just has to be um, above the third par or paragraph. And I think that was mainly for C-Facts, actually. C-Facts. Um, yeah. C-Facts. Still affecting us today how yes. nice and if anybody's under the age of 18 google cfax and you're getting some sort of weird paradox because of that so one thing i will say so i think i think some of these things it's about popularity if you have a story that you can get enough people to care about and click on um journalists and news organizations will write about it um, you, you will see that with the rash of stories that we have about spiders at the moment because I think about two years ago um, news organisations realised that people shared stories about spiders because their friends were scared of them so they liked to tag them in the comments um, so there's that so there's that and then um, but th there's ways in which um, groups mobilise and they do it very well and um, Disability groups, one of the first, I think, that are doing, um, that did incredibly well at getting people and news organisations to write about the stuff that they cared about. And that was because, um, I mean, it makes sense, you know, if you're at home, you use the internet, if you can't get out, you connect with other people that you might not be able to um, connect with um, who have the same condition as you and you share the things that you all care about um, that's one because like that thing is being recognized and it's great to see it recognized um, and that's two because you want to raise awareness or sometimes you have a causal campaign like campaigns can be um, incredibly good at mobilizing um, support and also media coverage um, for those reasons, I think. And I think the other group that is having um, tremendous success with this as well is uh, the WASPy women, um, who, if you don't know about, they're sort of the women who... Oh, I don't know the details quite well, but um, it's the women who had their state pension stopped very suddenly. Um, they weren't given enough notice. Um, they uh, increased the state pension age, and I think they only gave about 18 months' notice or something. So people who took early retirement were adversely affected, people who hadn't planned. Um, and those women have been very connected online and are very good at making a noise about it. And, you know, there's ways that everybody's looking for more clicks. So as soon as they see this article going viral, another news organisation jumps on it and see, yes, OK. It's, it's really good because, I, I, I mean, I, I thought it was amazing to say how the Grenfell community used it. That was um, to, to kind of highlight the residents' complaints from years before and the residents' blogs and stuff, which got a whole load of news out quite quickly about it that I'm 
don't know if it would have come out as immediately. Um, but I think an issue that I have, or I'm finding with live audiences anyway, is I spend all day on Twitter and I look at shares and on Facebook and everything else, and I'm checking what people are sharing, and then I'll go and speak to a live audience at night at a gig, and they won't have a clue because they've got real lives and have work and haven't actually <laughs> caught up on them. They're about a week behind on news unless there's something quite major that's happened. Um, and so, like, do you find... Like, how does that work news? I, mean, I suppose news has to be the most immediate thing so, possible, but is it... Mm, there's, there's an interesting thing that I've noticed in the past year, which is um, people are either hyper-engaged or completely switched off to it now. Um, it's very hard to get those people in the middle. So there are people really craving like reading tons of articles a day on like very niche stuff and there are people who've just switched off because they can't take it anymore sounds lovely i'm really jealous i'm really <laughs> jealous of that group we, we can totally attest to that because it, trying to break outside the the normal usual channels of drug law reform is difficult isn't it, it you know we, we we push it out and this is why we do this podcast it's you know we totally piggyback on the guys like you because each one of you has a new audience and it manages to edge us out that little bit more if you agree with us or you don't it just means that you're going to be listening to a different conversation and it's difficult you you, you mentioned clickbait uh, felicity and there is a lot of clickbait journalism in drug policy isn't there what um, do you mean by clickbait though because i feel like everybody uses this term differently oh god i've got to define it yeah. <laughs> so my my definition, and I can totally be corrected, is something that's... There's not a wrong definition, it's just to know how you use almost it. Almost, not adversarial, but something that's deliberately antagonistic just to make you push the button. So I probably don't have a problem with that if it delivers. So if it's true, and it's deliberately antagonistic... I mean, you have a lot of ad campaigns like that, charity ad campaigns like that, that are deliberately shocking in order to get you to care about something. Now, the way I would use clickbait is if you get people to click and then it doesn't deliver. So the headline looks like... It's a, bit, I, it's a little bit like what you were saying. I mean, a lot of the things that we see is, for example, the Mail Online will almost by numbers have a certain number of cannabis stories and they'll have provocative ones uh, with some um, some bizarre misinformation or quoting some study that was um, that was debunked five years ago or something and, and and certainly we're of the view that that they do that because the outraged drug law reform community all sh all share it and uh, and start commenting on it and you know in the, in the sort of echo chamber that's created within the, within the community, they're all arguing about it, and, and it gets them excited. So, what so you... there must be lots of clicks from that. That's certainly the way we perceive it. Yeah, I think what you need to do is get the BBC to write something, or BBC or The Guardian, someone lefty, to write up a wrong uh, drugs policy article, and then the Daily Mail can get outraged about the BBC and correct it for you. <laughs> you've just got to find, you've got to find the right enemy. That's a kind of twisted way my mind works. <laughs> That's good, good advice, we'll totally work on that. Do, do you think, Andrew, outrage sells, do you think that we've reached that point now in the modern day media that we're no longer looking for information. We just want something to get annoyed about over breakfast or or even dinner now. Well, that's always been the case, hasn't it? That's just human nature. I think I think outrage, shock, sort of staple of well, staple of what we a staple of comedy and 
just just it's what people yeah, are i suppose in comedy you need that don't you yeah i mean comedy is always teasing that line isn't it so I, I think it's it's absolutely essential but yeah um yeah, that, that is why. I mean, that's why when you talk about clickbait, that's why most people will share the, the, this stuff because it's affected them in some way. So there's something that when I worked on in social media, it's called like the theory of arousal, and um, it's a lot less fun than it sounds. Um, and basically, it's that you want to, or the stories that get the most shares are the stories that provoke the most aroused emotion. So different from broadcast, where somebody's just passively receiving. If you're putting an article out there, you need an energetic emotional response in all because you're asking somebody to do something. So they need to be some energy. Now the most energetic emotion is not actually sort of anger, it's outrage really. And uh humour. And this is my theory as to why Donald Trump got in, because he just plays so wonderfully to both of those things. Um, yeah, I mean, the problem as well is that outrage is also essentially funny. If someone's outraged by something, I, my, my response is usually to laugh at it, even if they're in the right. It's, it, because, because you can't help but adopt this kind of self-righteous pose, and therefore you look silly. And then when, when you're being out, outraged over something that isn't outrageous, that's even worse, you know? And that's, that, that does trouble me. That seems to be the, particularly with social media, that seems to be the... Um, Twitter appears to be at the moment just a sort of forum where people can look for new ways to be offended, you know? And I, I, it, it, it's just slightly preposterous. I mean, there was a, there was a, um, a uh, parody site on Twitter, a guy called Godfrey Elfrick. It wasn't a guy, it was two, two people, um, a man and a woman who created a, a fake liberal left character who would get outraged about absolutely everything. To be honest, it was one of the funniest accounts on Twitter. Um, it was banned by Twitter because, let's face it, they're humorless ideologues. Um, but, that, but, that, but that was the truth. They just didn't agree with the, 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 the na nature of the satire. Um, so outrage in of itself is a, is a silly uh, thing that is worth satirizing. But like, like you say, Trump, Trump, I think you're probably right, Trump, Trump knows how to manage. Trump's pretty funny sometimes. And that's the problem. He is quite funny and, and shocking and outrageous. He leads people to the joke. So, like, 20, he sends out a tweet and 20 people think they're being great because they've all made the same joke at the same time. But this joke is really easy to make. Yeah. I mean, you can do it with headlines as well. You can sort of set them up and you're like, here, do you want to make this joke with it? And somebody comes along and they're like, ha, 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 I can make a really funny joke by subtweeting this. It's like, I know. <laughs> but isn't that most headlines I see, these most opinion columns I see, look, look a bit like that to me. They look self-satirising self, uh, to me. But it, it must be difficult like, for, you, for you guys to do comedy on the back of that. As you said, when, when you've been set up and everybody is making the same joke, how do you guys become, you know, maintain that line of originality? Difficult, isn't it? I think because so much has been said about Trump, Trump is getting really difficult to, to mock uh, because he's so essentially silly but also... Um, and whenever he speaks, he's, like you say, he's just preposterous. But the problem is that a lot of the jokes are obvious, so you have to sort of find a new way to uh, to, to get at him. Um, it's, it's hard, isn't it? What do you do? Yeah, well, it's, it's, I, I, I admire what you do, because you write for, for a character, which I think is harder. At least I have a thing I can write from my own opinion, so I can write my personal take on it, which I think is a bit easier for me. There's a sort of uh, comedy rule-ish, is that uh, whatever your first idea is, get rid of it. Whatever your second idea is, get rid of it. Use the third idea. That's always the thing. Isn't that so, how Trump tweets, though? <laughs> <laughs> he just uses the... He just tweets out the first idea straight away, everything, uh, on all policies. But I think... Um, 
I'm able to at least kind of tweet. I, I went to see um, uh, a comedian called Barry Crimmins in Edinburgh this year. He's fantastic. If you haven't seen him, check him out. He's been going for years in America and started like the Brooklyn comedy scene. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he's very political. He's brilliant. And um, he uh, does an amazing 45 minute show at the moment. And it's all very, very funny. And then the last 15 minutes is kind of just a political tirade, which you might go sounds a bit awful if you come to see comedy, but he's got very well placed gags and it's beautiful. But his whole thing was just. Um, You've just got to tweet it from... You've just got to say it from you. It's got to be honest. And if it comes from you, it will have an opinion to it that somebody else can't do because it comes directly from you. And I think that's the most important thing from... I mean, I'm, I'm very wanky when it comes to stand-up in that I like stand-ups who are themselves. I think that's what I genuinely connect with. Oh, God, you'd hate um, me then. When I do, <laughs> when I do stand-up, I don't... I often deliberately say what I don't believe. Right. Why? Because I find that really interesting. I, I, I'm much. I'm really interested in stand-up where I watch it and think they can't really mean that, can they? Or I like the moral. You sound ambiguity. like me on dates, sort of bored of my own opinion. Well, then you, you would be a great date. That's great. <laughs> I'm just going to try. I'm just going to drop this and see what happens. Yeah, that's funny though, isn't it? Right. I'm bored of talking about myself now. <laughs> no, but that's interesting. I think. But from a because I see stand-up as like I a don't get very theater. many second dates. <laughs> But I think from a stand, because because I see stand up as theatrical, I like the idea of is this you know I'm playing a persona as far as I'm concerned. So uh, do I mean everything? I mean certainly I don't mean everything I say. Well, yeah, but there's certain things like you know like I adore say Milton Jones and he's clearly not like that. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I hope not for his, his family's sake. But like you know, he's clearly different. There are there are ways I think in getting it across. But if you're presenting yourself as you, then I kind of feel it's nice to know that that is. I don't know. Comedy is subjective. And then there's the people who are pretending to play another part, but they're not. And they're the people in like news conferences in the morning, which are these these ridiculous meetings where everybody comes with like a huge list of like headlines and they decide what they're going to write. And it is it is essentially a willy waving exercise. Who who has read the most news this morning and who's got the most important facts to deliver? Um, And you you know you pitch something and somebody goes. so just to play sort of devil's advocate, and you know it's not to play devil's advocate, it's because you think what I've said is stupid, but you don't want to tell me that. Um, and then, <laughs> So you're like, yeah, okay, what does the devil's advocate say? Um, so you'd rather just, they just said, I don't agree. Yeah, I don't why. agree. I think that's a stupid idea. Yeah. And then I would say, fine, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I would say, like, why? And then, like see if they had a good reason I'll be like okay let's adjust it like this or how do you think of it like that is there a way we can put this into seven reasons um something like that how important do you think our new mediums are like podcasts like blogging uh do you think that they play an important role or do you think that they dilute the actual professionalism of the journalism trade I think they're absolutely brilliant um I'm not trained as a journalist, I must say. Uh, I worked on boats, and then I was a recruitment consultant. Um, both I quit in tears, and then I started it before I started at HuffPost, and I just didn't leave. But um, And the reason that I got um, interested in Twitter is because I kept on pitching stories, and my editor was like, uh, you know, I wasn't very good at pitching, to be fair, and I was a little bit arrogant. And... Um, which I'm not anymore. And um, so I used to th- I used to tweet them and say like I'm sure there's an audience for this like and put keep on putting it out. And I think I think that's really great. I think we might have lost a bit of that now. But I like 
I think podcasts are absolutely fantastic. Like, I absolutely love them. I think they're really intimate. I think it's a lot harder to bullshit if you're talking than if, and if you're writing. I think it's they're open to a lot more people. Um, you don't have to... Like, there's a skill to writing, you know? And it's not one that everybody has. But, you know, most people... Well, I suppose there's a skill to talking too, to be honest. So... Yeah, maybe I'm better at writing. So. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think I'm definitely better at writing than talking because sometimes I, you know, it's just I completely admire what you guys do when you stand up there in front of an audience. That must be the most nerve-wracking thing in the world to be just you and a microphone, knowing that you've got to control that room. No, but that's the weird thing is those people always go, oh, you're very brave. You're like, they're not really not. Like, they're, they're a fire people, firefighters. They're pretty good. <laughs> they're like deep sea divers. I just stand in a room and swear at people I don't know. It's quite easy. It's, um, yeah, and the lights are off as well a lot of the time. Can't see them. And, and you and the, and the podcast, here, <laughs> and do you, do you think that we're providing a service in what we do in the podcast or are you just doing it just because you enjoy it? Uh, I primarily do mine because I enjoy it because I think if I didn't record mine every week it would scream in my head for the entire week. Uh, that's that's <laughs> I generally read everything and go, ah, this drives me so insane, I've got to tell someone. Um, and so it's easier for me to just churn it out. Um, I, that's why I enjoy it. I'm very selfish, it's a passion project. I do it because I want to find out these things and I want to learn more. Um, I think from I think your one is very informative, which is incredibly useful. Um, and that's why I, I, I love podcasts. I really wish that we had the... In the, in America, they're, they're a much bigger thing than they are here. And here we tend to have a problem, I think, where the main people that listen to podcasts are people that already listen to podcasts, which is an incredibly difficult thing to kind of... I had somebody the other day on my Twitter kind of go, I can't afford to get your podcast. And I was like, it, it's free. It's definitely... What are you doing? Um, you know, it's, it's like people don't seem to understand how to get hold of them yet. And I think when they do, I mean, I find there's so many US ones I listen to for US politics. There's so many things that you can kind of tap into well, this if is you're the, interested. This is the curious thing about the internet as well. Like, it's very um, visual. It's still very visual. And so that includes the written word. It's very hard to make audio go viral. I'm not sure why that is. Um, but I think it might be something to do with attention span. And that's why I think podcasts are so great for delivering pieces of information, because you've got that buy-in, you know? Um, in the same way, when you buy a paper, you've got, you know, you've got somebody's made a commitment for longer than like one second i think a lot of people listen to my I, I, I'm, I'm so anal about it i was looking at all the stats of my podcast which minimal but the uh but generally everyone listens to them between 6 30 in the morning and 9 in the morning and then occasionally sort of during rush hour on the way home and that is it everyone goes right i'm going to work i'm going to get this in my brains so i don't have to like stare at people aimlessly on the tube and um and that's i think people kind of use them as a device you know as generally they go like right i'm in for this and i'm gonna sit through it um which is a, a terrible way to, i'm just gonna <laughs> deal with it oh god i'll put up with this um yeah so there's a, you are, you're right there's a lot more investment in it which is really nice i think there's loads of really interesting trends you can um see as well and it's not it's it's the way people are using their time so you will find if you use tinder which I don't, of course. But the, the people will start to read news at the same time that your Tinder matches will start coming through because everybody's just on their phones all at the same time. Um, and it's the same with, like, you'll have that sort of, you know, reading times going on um, and nobody's online on Saturday. Nobody wants any news on Saturday morning. Yeah, or Friday night, I found. Friday night, nobody cares. Everyone just wants to come out, come home and crash. 
Saturday's rubbish, then Sunday night when everyone wants to ignore the fact there's work, they're all online. From about 4pm on yeah. Sunday, yeah. yeah. Every time I edit these podcasts, I end up realising that I've forgotten half of the conversation which took place on the night. So ended up, I end up hearing these from afresh again. And I found that just really fascinating again. And I say, no, I say it every time, but I'm slightly worried if I've got a terrible memory or a high sense of arrogance. I'm not sure which, but thank you so much to Felicity Morse, Tian and Duyeb and Andrew Doyle for participating in that conversation. And part two will be on the way, as I said, so make sure we stay tuned for that. And while I'm here, of course, I've got to do a few thank yous. Thank you to Nikki, the producer, for everything you do. Nikki's broken his leg lately. So if if I can get a collective R off of everybody, yeah, he um he had a football incident and left himself in a precarious position, not being able to make it into London. So we had a, a bit of a sub come on in Tristan, who's been helping us out in the production side of things. So thank you so much, Tristan, for giving up your time as well. And that's the thing with this podcast. It's all done by a labour of love with a team of people. So thank you all that you do. Also... Thank you to My Name is Ad for the artwork. We would be lost without your shininess. Um, Scoobius Pip, obviously, thank you for hosting us on your network. Um, don't forget to listen to the other network of Hardcore Listing. Uh, Tuesday Night Joy, Jim Smallman, and Say Why to Drugs with Susie Gage. Big thank you to John Harris as well and his podcast, The Dream Factory, which if you've not listened to it yet, please do, because it's just amazing. Um, fantasy film booking, I think, is the best way of putting it, and it's... Well, I'm hoping to get on there soon. Um, I think we can leave it at that. We can head into 2018 knowing we've done our best. So make sure you come back and find us in 2018 where we've got A, loads more events coming up. So keep a look, look out on our channels at UK Leap on Twitter, UKLeap.org on Facebook and the internet. Uh, Instagram we're on at UK Leap as well. So keep abreast of where we are, making sure that if you can attend a live event, do. But we've got loads more podcasts in the bank that are going to be coming out as well with some brilliant guests. So I think that's it. Make sure you have a safe new year. And if it's not new year when you're listening to this because it's not time relevant, then just be safe throughout the rest of the year anyway. So thank you so much for all the support you give us, guys. Make sure if you can, share us around. It all helps. And we'll see you. Bye. Behind your barricades Yeah, but how long can I stay? Behind your barricades Where true love seldom A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.